0: Welcome to The Backshop, a podcast about the concepts and practice of media with a focus on its impact on society. Each week, we cover ideas about the theories, concepts, and history that have driven media development. We will also keep an eye on how new technologies are changing traditional ways of getting information at a time when democracy needs our engagement more than ever. This is The Backshop. I'm your host, Jeremy Lata an Associate Professor of Journalism and Communication at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And welcome to Episode 5. I cannot believe you lasted this long with me, and I'm appreciating of that. Um, I've gotten some really nice emails and um, tweets from some of you, and I just I appreciate some of the feedback or some of the questions you've been asking. Um, and just as a reminder, you can always tweet at me at Jeremy Lettaugh, um on Twitter or email me at uh, jjl409 at lehigh.edu if you have any questions or uh, comments you'd like to add. Um, we've gotten have a couple of interesting discussions about the, some of the past episodes, and it's been kind of fun to do. So I, I do enjoy that. Um, we've been spending episodes three and four talking about the business of uh, of media. We we talked uh, episode three was mostly about the conglomeration of media, um, these uh, consolidations into larger companies. And then last episode, we talked about some of the newspaper business structure. Um, today, I want to do a couple of things. I want to very briefly talk about the economics of television and, and as it relates to news and inter- entertainment, um, talk a little bit about some of the theoretical ways of understanding that, and then um, kind of circle back to the end of talking about why we are where we are with the news business. So television. Um, television news is a relatively new phenomenon relative to newspapers. I mean, we, we talked last episode about newspapers um, going back uh, you know, 350-ish years or so in this country. Um, television news uh, really is, a, is, a, is about a 60-year phenomenon in this country. Um, and a lot of the first television news broadcasters like Edward R. Murrow were, were former newspaper or radio people who um, made the jump into television. And we saw, we've seen this happen with television and radio where you know, they, they started mining talent from uh, a legacy media product that existed to port news values into that medium to try to create something new on a new platform, but they, they still brought with them the values and methods of journalism. Um, and so, both both radio and television both had those 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 qualities to us, but scholars have been worrying for decades about the the um, the blurring of that line between entertainment and and news. Uh, very famously, um, Daniel Boorstin uh, wrote a book called uh, The Image. And it uh, was published in 1962, but he was talking about the, the rise of visual culture in, in, in society. The book was about things more broadly than television and news, but he did mention um, that as we start getting more of information from, from to what we watch, not getting it from reading, um, not getting it from hearing each other, you know, conversation, or even radio, that the imagery and image making was going to become a much bigger, um, way of comprehending society and constructing our vision of, of what society is and where we, where we stand in it. Um, talked about this thing called pseudo events in his book. Um, he, this idea that we create spectacle specifically to serve the purposes of television because television demands, um, visuals that are of high quality or high meaning. You know, this, this idea that, Um, the television as a medium does not work without have uh, visuals that have impact. And so we were going to construct these things. Um, A very easy example of this is when you flip on the television news and they're doing a report, you'll sometimes see um, what we call B-roll images of um, people who are being interviewed for stories um, as a way to introduce them. So they're sitting there uh, fake typing at the keyboard or fake walking down the sidewalk outside their building. And most of us have seen something like this um that is that is a pseudo event it is staged it's not um it's not something that exists for any other purpose except for to to create things for television um a more probably i would say less silly example would be something like the press conference um the idea that a politician or the representative from the from the press shop would gather and do Q&A with reporters you know reporters um, gathered in mass aggressively questioning them and and putting that on the air and airing it um is something that is largely existing for television. Um, the, the press gatherings and even asking questions in groups has long existed, but the, the performative quality of it, um, it to, uh, to, to have that be something that the public can consume on its own, just the, the Q&A piece of this without the meaning behind it, um, is, is really important. You know, in, in a world of newspapers, a, a press conference, the reporters would gather that information and they, they'd construct a narrative from that story. Whereas with a press conference, the, the press conference is the narrative. Um, and so that is a pseudo event. It's something that exists only for television. It is, it is a type of, of entertainment rather, more than it is uh, information because there's no real journalistic vetting of the information in real time. Um, for the most part. I mean, there's, there's organizations starting to do this now, I think partially because they've realized how problematic it is to put someone like the president on the air without fact-checking them in real time. But largely, that has not been the tradition. Um, 60 Minutes, which is a fairly revered um, news program on television now, um, has, was probably the beginning of that blurring of the line between entertainment and news. Um, it is a news magazine in the sense that it, it deals with softer topics, um, sometimes it interviews celebrities. There is news quality to it, but it's it's something that, that Borson and some of his um, his his later acolytes would call something like infotainment. They, the it is information and news packaged in entertaining ways by interviewing people of celebrity or attaching it to a, a news peg to something that is um, more more rooted in entertainment um, culture. Um, which is why you see famous people who aren't necessarily people who make policy decisions often being be features in shows like that. Um, we know that from the from the 1980s onward that television has become a little more um, entertainment oriented the longer a newscast has gone on, and that is, that is that the opening of newscasts tend to be more focused on crime and policy, but as it drifts um, onward in in its half-hour or hour format, that it's going to be more likely to cover entertainment and softer topics. Um, Related to this, the conglomeration piece that we talked about a couple episodes, I think, has had some sort of impact on this as well. That is that um, while CBS News was producing 60 Minutes early on, CBS now exists as a part of a larger conglomerate that has entertainment and news properties together. And so the merging of these businesses, the news side and entertainment side, into, um, into larger businesses that have less, less news-related or, or entertainment-related missions, but really a mission that, that serves both – um, means that to satisfy corporate um, interests, you know, you're going to be more likely to have um, some impact of entertainment on the news, and vice versa. Um, so some of this is just about the entertainment medium itself. That that is the visual, the visual piece of, of uh, entertainment that, that Borston or Neil Postman talked about in "Amusing Ourselves to Death," um, being something that would propel, um, news on television into something that'd be more of entertainment quality. Those, they were saying that that was just kind of going to happen anyway, just because of the nature of television itself. Some of this is about corporatization. Um, and some of this is just about, um, the, the, the repackaging of news for a new platform. you're going to be creating something that is going to look and feel different. Even if it retains journalistic qualities, it's going to be presented in different ways. Um, you are more likely to feel like you need to entertain on television. I don't think that's a pretty shocking comment, except for we don't think about that too much. Now, television, both on entertainment and um, uh, on news side, it, it's, it's really kind of irrelevant what programming they're putting on the air um, in terms of the revenue they're bringing in. Um, television gets its revenue from a couple different sources, Um, When we talk about television revenue, traditionally, we've been talking about advertising because the the early days of television, it was all over the air, which meant that there's a broadcast tower in a major city, it has a certain amount of reach, and they deliver an audience. And so they have programming on the air, um, half hour, hour chunks at a time, depending on the show. And they, um, they can charge a certain rate based on the audience that they know they bring in from market research. So an advertiser is going to be more likely to pay more money for an advertisement on on prime time because they know there's a larger audience for it um, versus the daytime, which is a smaller audience. Um, But it's not just a case of audience size. It's also audience demographics. We know the daytime audience is different um, than the nighttime audience, which the nighttime audience tends to be more general general, uh, family-oriented, people of all ages and so forth. So advertising has traditionally been the way TV has brought in money. Um, with the rise of cable and satellite, though, there have been other forms of, uh, of revenue coming in. Um, those are called carriage fees. Um, we, we talked about that a couple episodes ago, but uh, I want to come back to that because it really specifically raised to television. Um, over-the-air broadcast television advertising is largely their only revenue. Um, the minute that that NBC station, like here down the road in Philadelphia, um, is, is delivering that their programming a different way on satellite or cable then, um, that provider is paying NBC for the rights to air that. So, um, they, um, you know, direct TV or local cable company then is, is paying NBC for the rights to be able to basically retransmit that to their audience. So that, that has, that has changed the game a little bit. Um, some of these services are doing direct streaming now, so they're getting some revenue for subscriptions. It really depends on who they are and when, and what their scale and size is. Um, but the thing I wanted to point out is that um, the much the, we tend to think of the newspaper as a, as a news and information product. I don't think that's entirely true. Um, a lot of people subscribe to newspapers for the advertisements or for the coupons or uh, for the crossword puzzle or a lot of it, other different types of things. Um, that is, as we pointed out last episode, that is changing somewhat um, because um, people can get those things online for free and in formats that they, they prefer to get them in but but we tend to think about the news as kind of this like eh, people are subscribing for the news and I, I think that that's largely grounded in mythology but it is it is mostly true tv is different though um whether you are um if you if you think about just the revenue that uh, your local abc affiliate brings in for example um they are charging advertising or getting carriage fees for their programming at large and yes they want to maximize profits at each individual hour but um, whether they're airing news and entertainment, um, they are bringing in a certain amount of revenue, and it's, uh, it's just dependent on the time slot and its ratings, essentially. Um, what that means is that there's going to be profit pressures on how much news you're going to air. Um, very famously, you know, the 5 to 8 o'clock hour in America from the 1950s to the, to the late 1970s was largely dominated by local and national news. There was a national news broadcast on ABC, NBC, CBS, and it was surrounded by local news. Um, but that started to change in the 1980s. Um, there, there was, there's a few different inflection points there that are important. But one of those is, is that um, you know reruns of MASH started airing on, um, on television during local local hours in on one affiliate and that started cut into, uh, that started cutting into the time that the news was going to get. And so we've seen that news hole basically shrinking um, as people have realized that those individual time slots could be maximized revenue wise with other types of programming. So just to kind of tie up where we are then, um, talking about the last couple of episodes, the one thing I want you to see is that um, the media business is largely a, a profit-driven business. And when I when I talk about that, I use, I use those terms very specifically. I'm not talking about the news media, I'm talking about the media because these companies are media companies. And what that means is their job is to go out and find an audience for whatever it is that they produce and distribute and so the way in which they get their revenue for the most part is going to be by having that audience be as large as possible not just throughout the day but in in television's case for certain segments of the day is they'll chop up um their their day into certain segments and blocks of time and try to maximize revenue within those windows you know that yes we know there's more viewers at night but if we can maximize the, the share of those daytime viewers we get you know by by making programming decisions going to do that they they're going to they're going to make decisions that way and what this means is that media companies exist um, i would argue even news media companies exist to create relationships with audience to grow them as large as possible so that then advertisers can exploit them and that, I'm not using that in a negative way. I'm saying that they can take advantage of the relationship that media companies have built um, to reach people with their advertisers for products. Um, notice in that statement, there is nothing about the values of news. Um, there's nothing about journalism and its role in democracy and all those ways we talk about the news that even if you go back to the, the founding of the republic here in the United States, that... Newspaper men were creating these vehicles to reach audiences for advertisers um, and so a lot of a lot of the ways we talk about the news business I think are really important I think it's important for us to talk about the role of news in in democracy and, and an informed public um, who has to make democratic decisions but but if we talk about the the historical role that media companies have played and, and that mostly it's about a for profit vehicle built around. Um, building audiences for information needs, that changes the conversation a little bit because then we have to really take a look at the decline of newspapers and its transition to television and even the softening of news on television as a market choice and not as a a type of evil decision made by corporations or or a a short-sighted decision. Um, we have a theory in mass communication called uses of gratifications, and very briefly what it does is it, it describes the psychological and social reasons why people use media, and this has been applied to different platforms over the years. Um, just very broadly speaking, what I would say is that people generally bring um, four different types of major needs to, to media use. Um, they need enterta- entertainment um, or escape. They need uh, information, and that can come in the form of news, uh, which is information acquisition that's delivered to them, or information seeking. So information seeking would be something like Googling it. We have social needs. We have this need for community and connection to each other. And the last is, is commercial needs, um, having that satisfied by advertising or finding out about products or things we need to, to be able to survive. So entertainment, information, social, and uh, commercial so, if you think about um, the the role that media companies play in, in 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 terms of building that audience, what they are trying to do is trying to assess what an audience's information needs in a given community or in a given country. So, let's take local news for example. I used this example last time, but um, when people were buying newspapers for for decades in this country. Um, It was because their information needs, and I would say even entertainment and social needs were largely being met by this product, and and there was no other game in town. Um, That if you wanted to know what was going on in your community, if you wanted to find out about events that were happening, if you wanted to hear stories, good or bad, about your community, uh, if you needed to know what sales were at stores, um, the newspaper was largely the only vehicle for that up until the rise of, of radio somewhat, but I would say television. But even then... Uh, newspaper just it represented a different kind of delivery system where you didn't have to be on the air. You had to be tuning in at a certain time to get in advertising news. And so the newspaper was a nice product in the sense that it dropped all that information in one stack on your doorstep every day. And it was in one place and you knew it. Um, so if you think about the, the, what the audience really wanted from newspapers, it was that all the information you needed to navigate society on a given day was packaged up for you and delivered to your house and then you can consume it in ways we call asynchronously. And that, what that means is it didn't depend on you sitting in front of a, a set-top box um, at a certain time of day to get the news from Dan Rather. Um, Rather, you can consume it at your leisure on your own time, and you could still be an informed citizen. You can still have all the information access you needed. You can still have all the advertising you needed and so forth. And media businesses largely were built on this. So as much as we want to romanticize the, the power of news and democracy, and again, it really plays an important role, um, I want the point I'm trying to make here is that the, the informed public was kind of a happy accident, um, that we have placed a lot of emphasis on it in society because of the important role it plays in democracy. But I do think we tend to overestimate how important that was to the consumer itself and instead look at if we what we need to do is look at this instead and say well people had a lot of different information needs and they subscribed to newspapers because newspapers were the only product out there that could do that for them and then when the the internet comes along and then subsequently the smartphone that is where this began to unravel then because people's information needs largely weren't changing, but their delivery preferences and their ability to get information from different sources did change. Um, so the smartphone delivered weather, it delivered crossword puzzles, it delivers advertising. I, I would say advertising not quite as well depending on the format. Um, I think it does classified advertising a little bit better. Um, display advertising is slightly worse. Um, but it delivers entertainment news. But the other thing is this: is that you know, once you once you rip out all those other non-news information needs from the product, and you and what you're left with is um, just the core of news itself. Um, what we're finding um, when from just from watching people's habits is that they really were never all that into some of that hardcore hard news stuff that we we tend to promote as the most important thing about newspapers. They have voted with their choices, either from lack of readership or lack of subscriptions, that. Um, they would prefer to, to be uh, consuming information in their news, if it's going to be that at all, around other softer topics. Um, so one of the reasons why I'm talking about this is because some of this is about, again, um, I think the, the, the trend toward infotainment and, in, and, and entertainment-based news, um, the, the rise and expansion of television um, to give us more entertainment formats at, at the expense of news. You know, when we started replacing news on television with... Other types of, um, of entertainment vehicles, uh, dramas and sitcoms on the air. And then with the, the, the waiting of Netflix into this marketplace where we can binge watch asynchronously again, um, entertainment whenever we want, it's very easy to check out of the news. And so consumers are telling us with their choices that if the core product of newspapers now is news, that they really largely don't see the value in paying for it. So that's a hard truth. And I don't know um, if there's a really any way to sugarcoat that. Um, but what I want to suggest, rather than make this a really depressing podcast, is to, to say that the reimagining of the news business, then, needs to take into account information needs and wants in a society, what consumers are saying they want, and that the repackaging of news uh, and the, the, um, the promotion of paying for news needs to be centered on the idea, okay, what are your information needs in society? What are your needs in general? And how is our product meeting those? Um, that is a more than just a market research question. And I think that is a reimagining of the role news plays in society. Now, the good news is I think this can be done. Um, I, but I do think that that might mean accepting smaller audiences. That we, the, the idea, if you go back to... Um, the last episode where I talked about these mass uh, publications, these penny press publications that served uh, was con- con- continuously consolidating readership across cities into larger and larger general audiences, um, that it may not make sense to chase that anymore. It, it, chasing niche audiences instead um, who really, really care about news and information is important, but also not making that as niche as a, Possibly can be by figuring out, okay, how do people want to get information? How do they? How do we get them to share it with it? How do we? How do we have those hardcore news users not become an audience that is only about getting them to pay, but also getting them to share? So that will frame some of the discussions that are coming up in the future episodes. But I, I feel like um, the first foray I want to make into into the news crisis that we talked about early on. Is is partially about reimagining what audiences needed from us all along, and maybe we misunderstood. And in figuring that piece out, that gives us um, a p- the potential path or paths forward in terms of how to re- redesign this um, for the for the future. Um, so the sustainability is something we can have. So that's it for this time, um, and we will con- continue pulling a little bit at this thread. I want to talk a little bit more in the coming weeks about some theoretical ways of understanding the news. Um, so the next arc of segments is going to be dealing with the news business itself. What is journalism? Um, if we are going to reimagine some of this stuff, what is the DNA of journalism itself that we need to preserve? And we'll also be mixing in an interview. I've got that I'm chasing, and hopefully it'll be the next episode or this episode after where I'm going to talk with somebody, interview them a little bit, and give you a chance to hear from somebody else about some of the topics um, to tie some of these together. So, thank you for listening. The Backshop is a non commercial podcast recorded and produced by Jeremy Leta at Lehigh University. Special thanks to Kaseki, whose music was used for this podcast and made available via Gemendo with a Creative Commons license.